2: Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. Welcome to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cutt. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the
0: world's only rock and roll talk show, we have a band that is going to blow your doors off. (laughs) <laughs> I make no bones about it. Now they're a this wonderful a group. great, great live band. The Bell Rays, Lisa cacaula the lead singer. An amazing combination of Tina Turner and Iggy Pop. I mean, I've never seen... A modern-day vocalist
2: embody those two amazing live performers as well as this one woman does. she's firebrand she and the band came in here we had a chat with them they played a couple songs it's a great performance we're also going to dive into the new album by Tom Petty it hasn't been heard from in a solo guys in about a decade or at all with the Heartbreakers for about four years it's an interesting album a lot to talk about, and uh, we're going to look at the latest by Pharrell Williams, who's probably best known as a member of the production team, the Neptunes, who've worked with Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears and all sorts of people like that. But first, as always, we have some rock and roll news.
0: Personality Crisis from the New York Dolls. What a band. What a short live career they had. Two albums in the early 70s and then they disappeared in a haze of drugs and mismanagement. 32 years later, after that brief incendiary beginning, the New York Dolls are back with a new album, a DVD about their late bass player, Arthur Killer Kane, and a tour. Uh, they're doing the talk show circuit. They're out in the road for the first time. Nobody... Least of all, the lead singer in the band, David Johansson, thought this would ever happen again. But a little backstory about the New York Dolls. Why are they important? Why do they matter? Why do we care now whether they're coming back? Well, that song sort of says it all, doesn't it? In oh, 1974, my God. in the heyday of James Taylor, and yes. The rock and roll verities at a time when rock and roll seemed to be losing its way. As you said, uh, you know, prog rock was taking over. There was a lot of pop sheen entering into the radio spectrum at that point. The Dolls took it back to that earliest days of rock and roll with uh you know little richard just screaming
2: over yeah. a pounding piano 50s rock and roll brill building pop music motown those were the ingredients. They were presciently signed by a genius and unheralded fellow in the music industry yes. by the name of Paul Nelson, right. who was a Minneapolis writer. Paul uh, died uh, two weeks ago. He's the man who first discovered Bob Dylan, you know, found him in Dinkytown in Minneapolis playing at coffee houses, right. and began to write that this guy was the future of folk music. Later on in his career, Paul became a record company A&R man and signed the New York Dolls and said, this is the future <laughs> of rock and roll. These thugs From Staten Island, cross-dressing as women, very ugly women, who can't really play their instruments. High heels and and the leather and and the makeup and the lipstick. Badly applied lipstick all
0: over their face. But playing these amazing three-minute songs with big, huge choruses, you know, melodic and at the same time just sounding like a subway train. But the tracks don't sound too stable. It sounds no. like this train is gonna derail any second. You know, one and of those part ad- of the
2: excitement of it. Absolutely. One of those rock critic cliches is the phrase buzzsaw guitar. And I I gotta say, I never really understood what that meant until I listened to Johnny Thunders. <laughs> uh, Johnny <laughs> yeah. Thunders is, is truly the progenitor of that buzzsaw guitar. You would later hear it put to great effect by the Sex Pistols, who, interestingly enough, a guy named Malcolm McLaren tried to save the dolls late in their career after their second album, very uh, symbolically. Titled Too Much Too Soon it was the last album they made. Mm-hmm. McLaren tried to manage them and would put them in front of giant. Communist flags. <laughs> yeah. This was his idea. To Hammer hype and them. sickle. Yeah, he just really put the nail in the coffin. The and dolls the, and were the, done, and, and then, the red vinyl too. You know, right, right. the communist outfits. Oh, on. Just, it was horrible. <laughs> <harmless. laughs> and then two years later, McLaren goes and takes everything he learned with the dolls and applies it to the Sex Pistols. Buzz saw a guitar of Johnny Thunders, and that incredible vocal, which is uh, it makes Mick Jagger sound like an opera star. You know, <laughs> it is it is rough, it is hoarse, it is harsh. Probably one of the best gravel baritones in rock history of David Johansson the third key member, Sylvain Sylvain kind of the pop songwriter. If Thunders was Keith Richards in the distaff, twisted, transvestite dolls to the Rolling Stones, then uh, Johansson was Jagger, of course, and I guess that that, uh, Sylvain Sylvain was kind of the Mick Taylor of the group.
0: Mm -hmm. They burned
2: out so fast
0: and basically made no commercial impression, but their influence is incredibly profound. Mm -hmm. They presaged punk rock. They basically embodied glam rock, this sort of decadent, uh, trashy take on rock and roll that was uh, really popularized by David Bowie and T. Rex at the time but the dolls were right there with them but a guy like Morrissey Mm -hmm. you know who goes on to form the Smiths one of the reasons that Morrissey decided that rock and roll was going to be his life was seeing the New York Dolls on British
2: television in the early 70s and his life was literally changed he never forgot that day that brings us to the present because in 2004 Morrissey was curating a festival in England and he was given the opportunity to book pretty much anybody he wanted who did he want he wanted the New York Dolls now David Johansson, for 30 years, has been pretty dismissive uh, of the Dolls' legacy. What did Johansson do after the Dolls? The first incarnation was Buster Poindexter, yeah. who really launched the whole lounge lizard revival, doing cool stuff. You know, because of Hot, 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 and its obligatory place in every wedding in the world, you know, we can think of him as a cheese ball. But Johansson was doing, like, serious, cool 1920s, 30s cabaret lounge music. It was really to see Buster Poindexter live mm-hmm. was one of the greatest treats in the world when you were growing up in Manhattan. Between Buster and the Dolls, he had a, a, a solo career that was very credible. He wrote some great songs, did some amazing shows, and then lately he'd been doing these great kind of acoustic gut bucket blues shows with an incredible band and singing that material. Mm-hmm. So, so Johansson has always been important in the music industry. Right. The Dolls, during their brief span, had two drummers. Both of them are now dead. Arthur Killer Kane, the bass player, is dead. Died shortly after that initial reunion gig. And Johnny Thunders, of course, is one of the most famous heroin, infamous heroin casualties in rock history. He's dead. Yeah, how do you do the dolls when, you know,
0: more than half your band is dead? That's the weirdness about this. Uh, Morrissey gets them back for one gig, and they claim, Sylvain and, and Johansson both say, that suddenly the offer started pouring in for more dolls gigs. And essentially, they kept accepting these gigs. They started to get together, formed a band, got some other guys a bunch of no-name guys who were Dolls acolytes off oh, the streets. One of them was from Hanoi Rocks. Oh boy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, basically a pickup band, a bunch of Dolls imposters joining two of the original members and touring the world basically. Plastic, plastic Dolls? For the last couple of years. Plastic Dolls call them what you will. They got a record deal New York Dolls are now signed to a heavy metal label called Roadrunner out in New York They have a new record out now called One Day It Will Please Us to." remember even this. Boy, that's a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> And they have a new single, Dance Like a Monkey. Let's hear what the New York Dolls circa 2006, as opposed to 1974, sound like on Sound of
2: That's the New York Dolls circa 2006 from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. The album's called One Day It Will Please Us to Remember Even This, and the song is called Dance Like a Monkey. Uh, Pretty witty. It is David Johansson's take on the whole intelligent design (laughs) versus evolution debate. It is the best moment on the album, and that's why we played it for you, because we don't want to torture you. I don't see how this can possibly be called the New York Dolls. Because it is not. The Stones, without Jagger or Richards, either one, are not the Rolling Stones. Many people would say, Keith Richards first among them, that they're not even the Rolling Stones without Charlie Watts. Certainly the New York Dolls without Johnny Thunders aren't the New York Dolls. I think you can make that argument, and I think it it can stick.
0: I was willing to give them a chance to prove themselves because I love this band so much.
2: Sure, Johansson, the mouthpiece is still there. He still well, sounds like David Johansson. He's never sung a bad note. Yeah, I mean, he's never sung a good note either. From <laughs> from you know, good singing. But that's it, a compliment, kind of, yeah. right? It, it's a compliment. I think that if he was coming back with Sylvain, but they were taking it somewhere new, but also reclaiming their past. Mm-hmm. N- nothing says we don't want to hear him sing "Personality Crisis" right. in two thousand and six. But I don't want to hear him say that the songs on this new album are the equivalent of uh, Pills or Personality Crisis. And, and Jim, I think I'm,
0: I'm a little troubled too by seeing them sort of slip into this flashy trash guys again. He's 55, We're 55 now. 55 year old guys, and we can just sort of slip into this pill popping, yeah. lipstick wearing. You know swagger that we had when we were a bunch of bums from the Lower East Side in our early
2: 20s. It's kind of one thing it's to not see the same thing. a really ugly guy from Staten Island at age 20 wearing lipstick and fishnets, mm-hmm. but it's really something sinister to see this guy at age 55 after he played... Remember when he played the New York cabbie in Bill Murray's right. Scrooged? Imagine the cabbie in Scrooged, okay? This is not a pretty picture, mm-hmm. folks, right? I gotta say, Greg, on the trademarked uh, Sound Opinions buy it, burn it, trash it record review scale, this, this is a trash it and not in the good sense, of the doll song, Trash. Musically, if it, you just take it on the pure music
0: itself, it's not a total embarrassment, it's not a horrible record, but it just sounds like carbon copy
2: dolls. It sounds like a doll's cover band. Johansson's having a, not a personality crisis, but a midlife crisis. Yeah. And trying to recover his... So are you a Trash It as well? I'm going to give it a burn it, because I think as a curiosity item, people should hear it once. They'll never want to hear it again. But, but wait a minute. Now, if this, if this had a different marking on the cover, yeah. if it said The Killers uh-huh would you care at all about you wouldn't care about this record no, no you're not, right not, i wouldn't I, care i wouldn't care about it because it it sounds
0: like another band trying to rip off the dolls so many bands have been ripping off the dolls for the last 30 years so
2: you're gonna give so them, johansson and sylvain have as much claim to ripping themselves off as anybody else but i'm not gonna yeah, say the, it's worth the, buying the heartbreak of it is that johansson has done so much great stuff that didn't rip off the dolls mm-hmm.
0: you know jim i think you're so offended by the notion that these guys would pass themselves off as the dolls that no matter what they did uh you would hate the music And I understand that point, but the music itself is a pretty passable Dolls imitation. It's not a horrible record. You know, some of these kids might hear this and say, oh, that sounds like Jet. And what they'll do is realize, wait a minute, there was a much better version of this New York Dolls behind all of this, and Jet ripped off those guys. So go back and get those original two New York Dolls albums. By by all
2: means, they need to own the original two New York Dolls albums, but I think that they should definitely buy Jet or The Killers before they buy this Ursatz Plastic Dolls.
3: Just so clear out the window of the Lear, and I'm talking on my celly all that you should hear. Listen clearly now. Hello, can you hear me now? Can I have it like that?
1: You got it
3: like that. Can I have it like that?
1: You got it like
3: that. Can I have it
4: like that? You got it like that. Can I have it like that? You got it like that. So. That
2: would be Pharrell Williams on Sound Opinions asking if he can have it like that, and that would be Gwen Stefani saying, sure he can. <laughs> uh, why? Because as half of the uh, production duo, the Neptunes, along with his partner Chad Hugo, Williams produced No Doubt, as well as Buster Rhymes and Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears and many other people. He has scored a lot of not only platinum hits, but fascinating fascinating songs. This guy, I would say, after Kanye West, has been one of the most inventive producers in R&B or hip-hop of Mm -hmm. the last decade, and the Neptunes certainly have been a powerhouse. Got a spare million? (laughs) Hire the Neptunes. They will produce your record and craft a hit. Williams has made music of his own, as many producers do. You know I have a problem with producers making uh, records. Yes, you do. Because we've we've talked about this a couple times with people like Daniel Lanois and T-Bone Burnett, but I championed NERD, Williams' side project. He put out several records under NERD as well as the Neptunes, making music of their own as well as producing other records. Now comes the first album that is credited solely to Pharrell. It's called In My Mind. It came out this week, which is why we're talking about it. Let's hear a track from it. We're going to play a a bit of Keep It Playa by Pharrell on Sound Opinions. you say it's cheaper to keep her. We consider in and read her. Man, she might be the type that won't pee to feed her. She wants a little
3: cheaper, a little margarita. Man, them draws coming off when she seated two seater. So put your Porsche up, get your divorce up. I'm sure she's signing when she see me put my doors up. Man, the mansion's on the water, motherfucker, heel. She threw up wheels in the ocean, so she stuck to chill. The truck is still, hope something between you. And now she laughing how she took your. To the cleaners, man, I'm on your side. Not trying to inconvenience, just know we get the me keys and them plastic leaners. So keep it play it, dawg. Don't make me say it, dawg. Do something drastic, know that plastic's everywhere, dawg. If it ain't music or this money, I don't play it all. And she ain't either, so that means she doesn't weigh it all. now we can both post up or keep it playing, man. And yep. we can both pull the misses, keep it playing, man. Uh-huh. Or we can both ride our wrists, keep it playing, man. Yep. Or you can scram, suck if you a hater, man. I keep them ladies going going,
0: Let's keep it play up from the new Pharrell Williams record, In My Mind. Uh, Pharrell, as he likes to refer to himself these days, I guess it's like Cher, Madonna. One 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 name name, uh, suffices here. (laughs) Uh, To my mind, that is by far the best beat. I mean, this guy makes a living creating beats for other artists. Mm -hmm. That is by far the most interesting beat on an entire album of 15 tracks that uh, Pharrell Williams created. And that is inexcusable. I mean, the fact that that's the only thing remotely interesting in terms of a rhythm track underneath them, the rest of the stuff is pretty snoozy. The rhythm beds are really amazingly underdeveloped. Lyrically, Pharrell is a pretty smart guy. You are expecting a lot more from this guy than talking about hanging out at the club and, you know, a world of
2: come-ons and put-downs, which is essentially the subject matter of this record. And that's interesting because in the past when he's played the lover man, he's been – you know that movie The 40-Year-Old Virgin when Steve Carell picks up the girl in the bookstore just by saying nothing, trying to appear mysterious when, in (laughs) fact, he's the biggest nerd? Pharrell used to have that kind of act where, you know, I'm the nerd but I'm a lover man. Here he resorts to that tired hip-hop cliche of just, like, I'm hot stuff. And he has Gwen telling him he's hot stuff. And he's complaining about all the groupies on that song, Raspy Blank. I mean, it's just tired, tired stuff. Even the track with Kanye West, which you expected a lot more of, it's like both of these
0: guys are, like, holding back on each other. Like, I'm saving my best stuff for my own At the same time that that
2: all the lyrics in the song are (laughs) about, listen to us, we're making a number one single.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, here we have two of the most creative minds in the music business and there's no doubt that Kanye West and Pharrell Williams have basically owned R&B in the last uh, you know
2: seven years throw Timbaland in that mix and you've really got the three most creative producers in the business I I think Kanye's ruined Pharrell because by proving that not only is he a fantastically inventive chart-topping producer but a great great artist who has a lot to say on his own I think he raised the stakes on Pharrell because the NERD record and the Neptune's record were just the hip-hop equivalent of a garage band going to the garage, cutting a record in a weekend. They were fast and loose and sloppy. I liked them more than you. Yeah, you we, we fought about this, but that was part of their charm. It was like listening to George Clinton jamming, you know, w- w- with a great band. Or Prince, when he's really just goofing off at an after-hours show. Yeah. There's none of that here. Pharrell's trying to show that he's a star on his own, and he's not. Not like Kanye, no way. I got to say, Gray, this is a trash-it record as well. I agree. It's a trash-it record. It's one of the biggest
0: musical disappointments of the year so far. Later on, we're going to review the new album by Tom Petty, Highway Companion. We'll see if we feel any different about that album than
2: we felt about these first two. We're certainly not holding back on the enthusiasm, Greg, for our guests who are coming up after this break. We're going to be here with the Bell Rays searing hot soul <laughs> garage on Sound Opinions.
0: Opinions is supported by Goose Island, the brewers of Next Coast IPA, 312 Urban Wheat Ale, and Bourbon County Stout. Pairing beer and music since 1988, they believe it's always best to listen critically and enjoy responsibly. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois.
2: Welcome to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim Diorgatis of the Chicago Sun-Times. I'm Greg Cotta of the Chicago Tribune. We
0: are here with the uh, Bell Rays Quartet from uh, Southern California. Hello, Welcome, hello. folks. Yeah. Riverside. Yeah. Absolutely. Riverside. We got uh, Lisa on vocals, uh, Robert on bass, Tony on guitar, Craig on drums back there behind the glass, but we can see him very Help. clearly.
2: You <laughs> kind yeah. of isolated They completely walled you in, Craig They forgot the straitjacket, though <laughs> <laughs> uh, One of our favorite bands for quite some time In the garage rock underground uh, And not to use that label Because certainly that's not all you are That's right. um, But America <laughs> needs to know the Bell Rays much better And that's why we wanted to have you on the show Why don't we have you play a song And then there's a lot of things to talk about okay. But we might as well start with some music
5: Okay, cool Ooh. This is uh... Tell a Lie
2: the track that kicks off your fifth album Have a Little Faith and we're going on almost at the two decade mark or not quite <laughs> 1990 was that when you guys came together?
5: Uh, Bob and I yeah, yeah. doing stuff mm-hmm. and yeah. then uh, Tony joined the band in 95 and uh, we picked up Craig in 2004
2: Lisa you and uh, and Bob are married for two decades now right? Oh
5: god Every time I hear that, two decades, it just makes it seem even more intense than it already is. Actually, two two decades (laughs)
6: decades sounds less than 20 years. Yeah, yeah. That's just only two versus 20. And it is
5: less than 20 years. It is less than 20 years.
2: (laughs) But more than 15. (laughs) I find that inspiring, though, in rock and roll, where where few relationships seem to last more than... Well, that
0: too, yeah. Not, not to mention traveling around with your spouse in the confines of a, oh, a van yeah. or a tour bus or whatever. You know, sometimes you just need the time away. But yeah. you guys are enforced. It's almost enforced that you have to be together. I mean, uh, he's my best friend. Yeah. That's great.
5: So, I mean that that really helps. I don't think this band would have survived had we not been married or best friends. It's mm. just one of those things—a labor of love, and and also we make good business partners. Mm-hmm. So we we just lucked out all the way around. I, I feel bad for some people out there because they're missing some luck.
0: Because yeah. we got it all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's part of the story too. Is the the whole DIY aspect of the thing. You guys haven't had a help a lot of help from the so called music industry along the way. Pretty much they from the start. Be strong on our own. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Exactly. But when you started out as a, basically the the two of you, did you hear this this sound in your head that this is what this band was going to be from the start, or, or did it sort of morph along the way into what it became?
6: doing bands almost as long as Tony has and it's just like I've always heard bands that just did lots of different things I've always been big fans of like the Kinks and the Who and the Beatles where there's a singular sort of sound but it's the songs don't always lie in there you know the sound is a product of the people that are playing them but it's different styles of songs and they do different things with the music and stuff and I've just always been a big fan of that. I've always wanted a band that could do this.
4: Mm-hmm. You
0: know? It's interesting because I think you came to the attention. You were in Southern California gigging there for, obviously, a good chunk of the 90s. And I know that a lot of people, myself included, became familiar with you as you started playing some music festivals, uh, specifically South by Southwest Music Conference in Austin, Texas, in the late 90s. And it was like a revelation. Words started getting thrown around, Tina Turner meets the Stooges kind of thing. Uh, I remember after seeing the first performance, I thought of, like, a room full of paint thinner and then somebody bringing a blowtorch in there. (laughs) That was kind of my reaction. It was like, wow, that place just blew up. They're not going to be able to play any more shows in that club, you know? (laughs) So it was was an amazing performance. And you guys were obviously a pretty hardened road band by that point.
5: We had played a lot of gigs, but not really on the road as much. Mm -hmm. We were one of those crazy bands that would book ourselves in three places in one day. You know, and just play. So we got a lot of road work that way. We were always ready to play. We always practiced. But we hadn't really hit the road for real until 99, 2000, right around that time. Mm-hmm. And we just knew, you know, if we're going to get on the road, we had to put on a show.
6: Yeah. And and the, the South by Southwest thing really helped. I mean, because it, it was the first time that some anybody out of L.A., I mean, you guys included, we got a lot of
0: national press. It became a lot easier after that. But meanwhile, there's that whole period there where you're a band, and there wasn't a whole lot of national recognition. What keeps a band yeah, what keeps together you going? for that length of time?
5: Absolute insanity.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I, everybody had to have yeah. day jobs, right? <laughs> and, oh, yeah.
6: Yeah, and we're real stubborn. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we knew we were right. Yeah. <laughs> and the rest of the world would eventually catch up.
5: Yeah. I and mean, it wasn't really even about the rest of the world. I mean, it's one of those things where when we started doing the Bell Rays, when Tony joined up, and we did Let It Blast, we're like, all right. So we know what our market is because we had tried to get into so many South by Southwest before that, and got, re- you know, we could make a shirt out of the rejection notices <laughs> that we got from South by Southwest for every time before that. So we figured, all right, we'll press up a thousand copies of Let It Blast, and um, just kind of move on from there. The next year, we'll put out our next record because we just had a lot of songs, and we were just gonna keep doing it. And that's the one that just kind of hit. So we had already planned on doing our own thing no matter what, Mm -hmm. even if it was just going to be doing it in L.A., you know, being stubborn and just kind of knowing that this is what we have to do. This is what we do, you know, this music and the way that we do it and we know it's a good thing and we believe in it.
2: Well, now, is it ironic? I mean, there's probably our listeners who aren't familiar with the kind of underground rock world where you guys are coming out of may know you from two different sources. One, that Nissan Xterra commercial, Uh right? Or two, the fact, Lisa, that you have become the voice to tap in a lot of different, you know, you toured (laughs) with the MC5 Mm -hmm. veterans recording with uh, Crystal Method and having that that huge hit Good Luck that uh, Basement Jacks did. So I guess I got a couple of questions from that. I mean, number one, are those things paying dividends for the Bell Rays? And number two, you other Bell Rays, is it kind of a mixed blessing that Lisa gets this attention without you guys immediately? Um,
6: speaking for, for myself, Bob, I'm glad. I mean, you know, anytime you hear anybody with talent, you want to see him get out and be heard. You yeah. Know? I mean, and it goes for anybody, you know, especially Lisa. She's special, you know, yeah. and, it, and it's a good forum. They're doing some really cool stuff. And just for myself in particular, getting to see how they worked and what they did in their creative process even a little bit. you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I ran back to the studio, and it was
2: just like, oh, they're doing this, I'm going to try this. But you know. I mean, it does seem to be that the last uh, 12 or 14 months has been the Bell Rays kind of breakthrough.
6: Well, it's, it's looking like that, yeah.
0: Well, it's interesting because uh, we were just talking to uh, one of your sound engineers saying this is the first time I can remember where an album is actually coming out and there's a tour booked around it. And all the timing's working out. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is this is really the scary. first time that all of that yeah. stuff is Yeah, and, it's the
5: first time it's happened for us. Yeah. And, and the thing is is I know there's a bunch of bands out there saying, That happened to us too you know, where where mm-hmm. everything just didn't go together. People if they just understood the way that the record industry works, whether it's on the lowest level or the highest up, the timing is everything. <laughs> And it's
2: amazing how hard it is to get all those things lined up.
5: Oh, it is, and it's a blessing when it all comes together.
6: Hey, we've been the next big thing for 10 years, and (laughs) and now maybe we will be.
2: (laughs) Well, why don't you play another tune? What are you going to give us?
5: Uh, This is Pay the Cobra.
3: Like it's a disease Crawling on the floor Like a vulture at the door Voice from a whore Pollution to the man hey! hand top and I'm on a piece of glass hey!
2: Cobra, from the Bell Rays, Have a Little Faith, their fifth album, I'm Jim Deere, got us the Sun-Times, my partner is Greg Cott of the Chicago Tribune, got one of the best bands in America up here. Yeah, that's great. A little little <laughs> rockin' soul. And we've uh, we've
0: just heard two songs, and uh, I think you sort of see almost the range of the record. You guys have sort of been typecast a little bit by as a, sort of that Blast Furnace, full-on, rave-up kind of... Rock and Soul thing But uh, obviously There's a lot of Different
2: textures In what you guys Are doing For sure Let's ask them About some of the Typecasting Okay let's throw Some words at you That you get all the time <laughs> Yeah yeah Garage <laughs> rock Re- React to that What is it
6: <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I have yeah. no idea What garage rock Means We should ask
5: Little Steven Because he says We're not it yeah. <laughs> Oh really yeah. oh, <laughs> So Steve really? Van Zandt will, will put you on the radio He not play nope. Our stuff at all
2: You know I mean He's lousy in the Sopranos And he ain't that good With Springsteen Okay <laughs> Steven, you know, you don't play them, Sound Opinions does. All right, now this is a favorite word of yours, Lisa, another one to react to, diva.
5: (laughs) I'm not one. I'm yeah. not one. But
2: everybody wants you to be the everybody black wants, diva.
5: Everybody wants everybody to be the next black diva. Mm-hmm. Even if she's some skinny white chick from, you know, <laughs> some boarding school. Everybody wants that. I don't know what this big American fascination is with having a diva. Yeah, But like I said, you know.
2: If you're if, black and you sing, you're if, a diva.
5: Yeah, if you're black and you sing, if you're, you're a diva. Or any female fair,
2: with attitude. Or a, female a with attitude.
5: They want that sassiness.
2: Yeah. They just want that sassy. Well you got some sassiness. I though. got
5: some sassiness too, but I got a whole lot more. <laughs> yeah.
2: All, right. All right, Tony, what about this one? Detroit. Oh
6: man. We are from California.
0: I
2: mean, not,
6: it, not Detroit. In fact, we don't have any relatives in Detroit. We never lived there. We we never went to school there. just they <laughs> want you to be
0: from Detroit. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of comparisons to draw the parallel further. A lot of comparisons to like the MC5 and and the Stooges and that sort of Detroit yeah, rock and soul thing. Thirty
6: five years yeah, ago, and
0: they want to compare you to that because yeah. you know a lot of well, let's face it, a lot of rock critics are nostalgic for that sound. You know, even if they well, weren't around for it originally.
6: It's a great sound, and it's an honor to be compared to the best.
2: Right. Well, it also carries with it this supposition that the only time. That hard rock and roll, you know, has met up with soul, <laughs> was in Detroit for 10 minutes in the early 70s. Right. You know. Well,
5: no, actually, I think it had met up a long time before that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. people have just forgotten somehow that it's been sucked out of rock and roll. Mm-hmm. I think it's been a, a natural proponent. I mean, it's just been something that you needed. It, it was part of the recipe to make it really rocking and, and hot. I think what, what they're really trying to get at with that whole comparison is the energy it's got something that, that touches you, not just here and here, but right in that groin area. Mm-hmm. And and it's honest. You know, we're not sitting up here trying to be the next whatever the major label has put all their money into or, or try to pose to be those things. We really are just a hard rocking band.
0: Yeah. On this record, the other, the other term that I was going to throw out at you as Jim was starting that laundry list of cliches, uh, lo-fi in terms of the recording quality and things like that. Yeah. To my ears, this record sounds as well done as anything that's on the radio, and it was done by the band. By um, Mr. Bob Venom. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So what about that, Bob? Um, How do you actually go about the recording?
6: You know, I mean, honestly, the first bunch of records probably are. Mm-hmm. If you walk in and saw what we were recording with, Compared to what, you know, most other people were recording with. Yeah, it was definitely a lo-fi situation. This record, I really, really wanted to have that one criticism of all our other records. I mean, if you call it a criticism, you know, I just wanted to X that out. Let's really work on the recording aspect and not just kind of set up in a room as best as possible and blast out the tunes. Let's mm-hmm. actually sit down and make a recording.
0: Well, it's got to be a tough thing, too. Time, budget, things like that. Those are limiting factors on a lot of bands, trying those, to make a oh, good yeah. quality that's, recording. that's the other thing. I
6: mean, yeah. we had no money on those other
0: things. So you know. did you have a little bit more on both ends
6: for this one? Yeah. Um, you know, that's
2: the Nissan Xterra. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, thank yeah, you yeah,
6: yeah. Thank you, Nissan. <laughs> well, I thank wanted you, to get Nissan. into
0: that, yeah. was <laughs> it? Was, I mean, that's, you know, yeah. p- people may criticize you for doing a TV commercial, uh, but the flip side of that is uh, you had exposed your music and brought some cash into the band. That it was exposed probably much music.
6: It, yeah, it, it pays for, for what we do, you know.
0: Now, were you able to document it all, that people heard it and sort of
2: associated it with you guys, and oh, did yeah. that bring any yeah. kind of positive we're effect? We're still documenting it. I yeah. mean, it's,
5: it's an amazing thing, that commercial.
2: Um, <laughs> uh, we do want to hear some more music. Want to do one more? Sure. we got Craig Waters on drums back there, and Tony Fade on guitar, Bob Venom on the bass, and Lisa Keckola on on, uh, lead vocals and maximum sassiness. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. And uh, uh, David Porter
0: and Isaac Hayes are now wishing they wrote that song. Heck, yeah. (laughs) Man, oh, man. Hell, yeah. That's that's a great thing to hear. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Bellrays. It's been a pleasure having you here. Oh, thank thank you. you. This is fun. Thank you. You are listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. When we come back, we're going to talk about the new Tom Petty album, Highway Companion, and I will have a Desert Island Jukebox. Pick.
3: Revolution. Get down. Revolution.
1: You keep running for another place
0: To find that saving grace Saving Grace from Tom Petty, a new Tom Petty album, Highway Companion it's called. His 18th album of a career that has now
2: stretched to 30 years, Jim. It's almost uh, wow. hard I, to believe. Tom Petty's been around for 30 years. God bless Tom Petty. We, uh, I think one of the, the best moments we've ever had on this radio show is Tom came in and sat with us for two hours. Yeah, it was an extraordinary ago.
0: extraordinary interview from a man who does not give many interviews. But when he does give them, he's incredibly insightful, articulate. He brings the goods. And I have to say, one of the most reliable album artists uh, in those 30 years Petty has made, as I said, 18 albums, only three of which are technically solo records right. done without his longtime band, The Heartbreakers, one of the very best mainstream rock bands in America. This is a technically a solo Tom Petty record, basically Tom Petty with his producer, Jeff Lynne, and with occasional help from uh, Heartbreakers guitarist, Mike
2: Campbell. Who Basically, is Jeff Lynne, uh, Mr. ELO, and yes. uh, Traveling Wilburys. Uh, but but it's not just technically a solo album, Greg. He played everything. Yeah. He played all the keyboards. He played the, the drums. drums. He, I mean, uh, you know,
0: Harmonica, guitars. And it sounds like it. It's, it. It sounds like a bedroom kind of record. It sounds like Tom Petty sitting on a couch with a guitar... Uh, working through some of the travails of his recent past, Ooh, uh, yeah. and, and some travails there have been, a devastating divorce, and also the death of longtime Heartbreakers bassist, Howie Epstein. This is the first chance he's had on a record to sort of process some of those events, and a lot of these songs
2: seem to be filtered through that experience. Well, he he really, he, he has said in a handful of interviews he's done that he was suffering depression. After Epstein, who he fired from the Heartbreakers because of heroin abuse, died shortly thereafter, I think, Petty had some guilt. He was in dicey territory.
0: The one thing that's interesting about Petty is he's not a whiner. He's always been, to my mind, one of the guys who has really gone out there and really enjoyed his work. He won't and back has, down. Yes, he won't back <laughs> down. He's always been attentive to issues like, you know, are my fans having a good time? Mm-hmm. Are they getting ripped off? You know, back in the early '80s, he was battling his record company about keeping the price of his of his album yeah. from going up to eight ninety eight. The record industry as a whole wanted to raise the list price of albums and increase them from seven ninety eight to eight ninety eight. And Petty basically I said, "Kill for that price now! Screw no. you!
2: I don't. You know, I'm not going to let you do this." Well, in the last DJ, the two thousand and two album was mm-hmm. all about how the music industry has betrayed him and us, the fans. Mm-hmm. A bold statement for him to be making and to do it
0: so openly on Record on a major label yeah. uh, got him blackballed, and <laughs> a it lot did. of radio stations around the country, most of the radio stations in the country that would have played this record, are owned by Clear Channel. So you can understand why they would be a little upset about it. He never mentions the word Clear Channel
2: in any of the record, but it's clear what was getting his goat and why he made the record the way he I don't, did. I don't think he was pulling any punches. Listen, this is Tom Petty in the studio with us. He was making it clear.
1: Somebody said, hey, you've just been banned by Clear Channel. Right. You know, if I wrote a fictional song that worried someone enough to ban then I must have really, you know, hit a vein here. And whoever is upset by it is naming themselves. No, I didn't point them out. <laughs> right, know? right, right. I wrote a fictional story.
0: That's a little bit of Tom Petty from Sound Opinions in 2003. Petty in 2006, as we said, his third solo record, 18th overall. It's called Highway Companion. Let's get to some music before we uh, review this record, Jim. We'll play a track called Down South. It is one of the lyrically most uh,
2: interesting <laughs> and inventive and it brings a smile to your face. He Tracks is, is on the a record. funny, funny, wry guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen to the lyrics on this because he's making fun of going back to the South where he was born and raised. He's going to wear seersucker and he's going <laughs> to pretend he's Samuel Clemens. <laughs> yes, he's uh, a, a moment of comic relief on what is otherwise a somewhat
0: of a bittersweet record. Uh, on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Headed
1: back down south Gonna see my daddy's Mistress Gonna buy back Her forgiveness Pay off Every witness One more time Down south Sell the family headstone Drag a bag of dry bones Make good all my back backbones So if I come to your door Let me sleep on your floor i give you all I had and a little
2: more Tom Petty, Down South. I love that song. I love this album, Greg. Highway Companion. I'll start by noting that it's ironic, the title of this album, because we are talking about a master of the road trip rock song. Mm -hmm. Just think about all those Hollywood movies, Jerry Maguire, The Silence of the Lambs, all those scenes where somebody's driving, banging on the steering wheel with a Tom Petty song, American Girl or Free Fall and playing in the background. Mm -hmm. You drive with this album on, you may well have taken a couple of uh, Ambien. It's not a good idea because this is a <laughs> overall, with the exception of the songs that we played here, this is, is pretty slow and sleepy album, steeped in kind of bluesy tracks. There's not a lot of that upbeat, driving, propulsive Petty jangle. But overall, it's, an aqu- it's a kind of a quiet, acoustic album that is made from a dark place. Petty is saying in interviews that he may not tour anymore, certainly not extensively. He's, he's kind of had enough. The guy's only 55 years old, but again and again and again, and the theme of time running out comes up here. Again, as a driving album, midway through, you get this song Turn This Car Around, and it breaks down into this psychedelic freak out mm-hmm. and he screams turn this car around I'm going back mm-hmm. so it's not like he's driving anymore he's singing you're flirting with time baby and maybe time is catching up with you he seems to think he's run out of time there's a, a song where he he makes a very conscious nod to Neil Young's My My Hey Hey where in Petty's version he's singing I need a big weekend kicking up the dust it's, you think it's a party song but then he flips it if you don't run you rust personally Feeling like we have some connection with him, I'm a little worried for Tom. He's happily married again now, and Mm -hmm. life seems to be good for him, but this record comes from a sad place where he seems to be saying, "I'm, I'm at the end of my rope. I have very little left to give. Those are all good points, Jim, and I agree with all
0: of them, but I think there is a redemptive theme to this record. When you title it Highway Companion, you're kind of thinking, well, what's the Highway Companion? And at the end of the day, I kind of think it's this music that's his friend reaching out to him and pulling him out of the wreckage Mm. of the last four or five years. These songs are kind of redemptive in the way he sings them and the way he plays them. There's almost a comfort, a strange kind of comfort... He seems to be deriving from these tunes. Listen to his voice. He never seems to strain or wail on this record. It's almost conversational. There's really only, as you mentioned, very few tracks that I would consider like up-tempo. There's really only two, Saving Grace and Big Weekend, I think, in terms of the up-tempo tracks. The record seems to turn at the point you pointed out on that particular track, Turn This Car Around. Mm -hmm. That is the turning point of the record. And he's pulling out of something. Yeah. And by the end of the record, he seems to have gotten somewhere. It, it, it's not particularly clear where he's ended up, but it's clear that he's come out of some dark point in his life, and he sees a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel at the end of this record. I love the way this record is sequenced. I yeah. love the way he's singing on this record. I love the fact that Jeff Lynne, who is noted for his overproduction, mm-hmm. has sort of taken a step back and allowed this album to sort of breathe in a way that I think is is really beautiful you know lynn probably produced petty's most famous record full moon fever Mm -hmm. you know with the song free fall and that's probably petty's biggest hit ever here jeff lynn pulls back and lets the music breathe lets the sound of this record breathe i'm amazed at petty as a drummer there's some moments on this record where you think here's this guy you know that's probably like his fourth best instrument yeah yeah and (laughs) he's doing some things on the drums that make you think This is really cool. It's very understated, but it's very cool the way he's playing the drums. The
2: guy is one of Rock's greats. You know, I think that that he is so self-effacing and has such a genuine everyman persona. He is an everyman, as opposed to the guys who play one on TV, like Bruce Springsteen. I think it's easy to take him for granted, but like you said earlier, you look at the 30-year body of work, and it's just some amazing, phenomenal stuff. And I can't imagine. He keeps saying he's not going to tour, but look, this is one of Rock's greats, and and he has yet to fall off at. Oh, this is definitely a buy-it album It's one of the best records I've heard this year Yeah, I agree It's a it's a great record It's a buy-it record And I think a case needs to be made now for
0: Petty Here in his mid-50s Continuing to make great work, great art As one of those artists who belongs in the pantheon Oh, absolutely Along with the other people that we talk about You know, who are sort of the greats Who have
2: had long, sustained careers now, one of, one the, of the Neil best, Youngs
0: of the world Absolutely, you know? one of the best Petty American artists in that class
2: And Tom, you remember we said that Because the standing invitation is out To come back to Sound Opinions <laughs> You remember how much fun you had last time <laughs> you come on by We'll make the case We'll put you in the Hall of Fame
1: I tell you little buddy This whole island Is bewitched Just to
4: cast away Island lost the sea Oh Now I'm standing On my own Sandy
3: Far from home Look come on
4: Do you remember We were shipwrecked together
0: Standing I'm so far from home stranded. Time to go to the desert island to pop a quarter in the jukebox and pick a record that we can't live without, at least today. And it's Jim DeRigatis'
2: turn. Well, Greg, you were riding me for being harsh on the reunited New York dolls, or the plastic dolls, as I like to think of them. It, it, it comes from a position of, of truly being disappointed. Betrayal. You, know, you are lo- betrayed. I, I am <laughs> betrayed. I love the dolls. I love Johansson's solo effort. Everything he's ever done. He was the very first rock and roller i ever interviewed i was a uh, a kid in college on the uh, new york university newspaper and i interviewed david johansen and i was happy to do it and i was in awe of the guy and i still am in many ways i just don't necessarily want to see him at age 55 wearing lipstick when i talked to him way back in 1982 it was uh, for an album called live it up which was a live album that he'd recorded in new york city and i saw that show I was underage. I snuck in. <laughs> Nevertheless, I was there. When you saw Dave Johansson in his solo incarnation, man, it was just this this fireball of energy. The guy was just explosive on stage and the very best song. When you'd, you'd go see Johansson, you could see 10 shows in a row and they'd all be amazing, but you'd wait each and every show, for the song Frenchette. He made his solo debut in 1978 with a self-titled record called David Johansson, but he's definitely one of those performers who is always better live. And I think this record, Live It Up, from 82 captures that energy. The highlight of the night would be Frenchette. It was this epic song. It It was very out of keeping with punk because it was a long track that started very gently with this kind of piano intro and built and built and built, not unlike a lot of Bruce Springsteen songs, although, you know, not being a Springsteen admirer, I always preferred to think of it like a Yes song. Like, you know, this <laughs> oh, was God. David Johansson's version of Close to the Edge or something. It really is one of Johansson's wittiest lyrics, Greg. You you played Dance Like a Monkey, but here he is. He's punning on this idea. Something isn't French, it's Frenchette. And he isn't in the diner, he's in the luncheonette. And something is leatherette. And it's not natural, it's naturalette. And, and you know, this kind of metaphor goes through the whole thing. And it builds and builds and builds, and it becomes this explosive rock thing, and then it drops back down. And, like, at the end of the show, he was covered in sweat, you were covered in sweat, and like <laughs> just couldn't get any better he wrote this song with Sil Sylvain, mm-hmm. his partner in the New York Dolls along with Johnny Thunders they were capable of this kind of brilliance after the New York Dolls they should be capable of this kind of brilliance today you know Johansson always kept making music not necessarily making a lot of money in between doing acting stints you know he, he was in Scrooge like I said he did a memorable turn as a very creepy character in Oz <laughs> I don't know if he caught that poor Sylvain actually was driving a cab For years, he was driving a camera in New York City. But, man, I'm glad they're back together. I'm glad they're writing songs. I'm glad they're making music. They have every right to reclaim their legacy. David Johansson, Sylvain Sylvain, you guys call me when you write another song as good as Frenchette. Here it is on Sound Opinions.
4: You call that love in French, but it's just Frenchette. I've been to France, so let's just dance. Get all the love I need In a luncheonette In just one glance So let's just dance I can't get the kind of love That I want Or that I need So let's just dance I can't get the kind of love That I want Let's just dance And I'll forget Wants you to come In my kitchen And I'm a kitchen and
0: That is Jim DeRogatis' D.I.J., his Desert Island Jukebox, David Johansson, in his solo incarnation with a great, great song, Frenchette indisputably... An example of what the Dolls might have been able to do. Should have been. If they'd
2: really put their minds to it. If it it hadn't been too much too soon. Apparently
0: there's not enough of their minds left to be able to write a song (laughs) that good anymore. But hey, that's that's, uh, a Uh, value judgment. You know, next week we're going to be back with more music news and record reviews, Jim. Uh, We always have a great time
2: on this show. I see next week being no exception. Absolutely, Greg. It is a crime that we're allowed to do this every week. Uh, and we have some people to blame for that. Tori Malatia is our executive producer and number one hero. Todd Bachman is our managing producer and director. Matt Fingers Spiegel is in the producer's chair. Associate producers are Jason Saldana and Robin Lynn. Dino Armiros gives us legal help. Joe Dessau gives us technical assistance and Mary Gaffney engineered those firebrands that are the Bell Rays. Oh yeah, and Jim Russell is the world's biggest Peaches fan over at American Public Media. And I'm going to go straight for the luncheonette to have some of David Johansson's Frenchette. And
0: uh, maybe we can have David and Sylvain join us there and say, Guys, this is what you need.
2: They're talking about wanting to come in, I don't know, after that review. (laughs) But uh, I think we can set them straight.